Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears. And today we are jumping into a chat with Gillian Bennett, a nutritionist and mindset coach that is teaching us how to have a healthy relationship with food and learn how to love your body at the same time. But first, Clara, there has been something on your mind that you want to share with our listeners. My bugbear is all around this expectation to women that they can do everything. So And some of this comes from, you know, Instagram, you see it. So I imagined in maternity leave that everyone has enough time to be able to start their own business. You know, they're all sitting at home and they're able to spend all that time and they can start a business and they'll become a millionaire because that's basically what everybody I've seen on Instagram on how they started their businesses, they always say, oh, I started in maternity leave and now, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm making millions of dollars doing X. And so it's all around these unrealistic expectations that are put on women. And also what I want to talk about is how that also is set up. So it it really frustrates me when we always talk about gender pay gaps. So gender mm-hmm. pay gaps happen for numerous reasons. Obviously, it can happen through, you know, what uh, career a person chooses to begin with. So we obviously talk about uh, teaching, nursing, etc. They're overrepresented. Females are overrepresented in those industries, and that tends to be a lesser paid industry than, say, the financial institutions where men are overrepresented. So I get that. But then there's also this thing around maternity leave as well. So so it's really difficult. And this is where I think it all ties into each other. So bear with me, Grace, bear with me. I might be around, <laughs> but bear with me. This is where it all ties in together, I think, is this unrealistic expectation that you're able to do it all, but you're also able to afford it all. So mm. it's really difficult in the Australian environment and the way that we actually get paid our maternity leave to be able to do it all. So there's always got to be a primary breadwinner in the household that continues to work. And a large percentage of the time it is male. Actually, I shouldn't say a large percentage because I don't really know what the stats are. And if I think of a lot of uh, my friends on John's side, it's actually sometimes the female that's the greater earner now than it is the male. So don't get me wrong on that one. However, taking that time off in their career, they're only given the mandatory, you know, three months pay and whether they can split that over six months or take it as three months. Again, it's it's capped. So it depends on how much you're earning. So those really high earners and those people that have been working quite substantial jobs as a female, and maybe they do have that balance at home, they still need to continue to work because a large percentage of them can't actually access that money. And now I know that I'm talking about people that are making larger incomes and a lot of people sit there and go, oh, you know, but they make such a large income. A lot of them have worked very hard to get those jobs to begin with. 
for a start. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they, as I said, they might be the primary earner in their, in their families. So that means they can't, as a female, take time off because they're the ones making the money and they're the ones probably upholding, you know, obligations, financial obligations of house repayments, which is so expensive, mortgage repayments, rent's so expensive. So, oh, you know, it I'm is. talking not just to the people. Exactly. It's not just to the people that have been earning. It's also uh, to, sorry, that have been able to afford a home. It's also to those people that have been renting as well. And everything at the moment has gone up, cost of living crisis. So that's, that's one expectation that I just think it's really, really difficult that there's women probably out there who really want to be able to stay at home with the kids, but they can't because they're the primary earner. Secondly, it's also really difficult if you're just getting three months maternity leave paid, how do you stretch that out to the 12 months? You know, how do you allow it up to two years? But I'd be very interested to see who those people are that are taking two-year breaks. It's so interesting that you bring this up because my partner and I, over the last three years, if, if we're getting the your biological clock mm. at the moment. We know, we know. But this is the reason mm. we haven't made that jump because, and I actually cried oh, to one of my friends last week because I was like, how am I meant to afford my mortgage, renovate my home and have a baby like, and keep my career going because mm. obviously there is a trajectory that I'm trying to achieve without falling behind because I already feel like I'm falling behind where I am now. And then I say to Christian, my partner, mm. I say, well, will you take leave? And he says, no, because I'm in the same position as you. So it's become this argument. It's not about do we want to have kids. It's like who wants to take that financial bullet and stay at home with the kid mm. and who wants to sacrifice their career moving forward. And it's just has, it's, I hate to say it, but it's been an argu a three-year-long argument and now we're at the standstill mm. where we don't know how to move forward because we don't know how to fix the problem. Yeah, and it is. And the funny thing is you talk about the financial ramifications, like who wants to take the bullet, and it's not just a bullet that you're taking in the short term. So it's not a bullet that you take uh, for, you know, the year that you maybe take off or the six months you take off. It's actually a financial bullet that you take off into your super. So it's how you retire mm. as well. And obviously, if females are taking more of those and they're taking two or three years, um, you know, depending on how many children they have, all different factors, then obviously it can be quite significant because that's also interest that gets paid over the amount of time, you know, add in a whole lot of different other expenses that you've got to pay medically as a female during that period. You know, some people are paying for private health insurance, so they're paying the higher premiums as the female to be able to, you know, again, maybe it's something to do with IVF or reproductive issues because, you know, I think it's one in six women have issues with um, reproduction in Australia, so that's really, really high. And so there's, there's just so many ramifications, and it's exactly what you're saying, you know, 
it's a it's a really difficult conversation and unfortunately Australia is just so far behind. You know, you look at all those Scandinavian countries that are really doing their best and both the male and female to give people a really good chance to be with their children while their children are young, to not take a financial hit and to be able to set that family up best long term. To your point, Grace, look at all the stress this is putting on you. So this this is where I want to come back to with this conversation is I just feel like these unreally expectations are being put on females to be everything. So to have the perfect house or to, you know, to be in your career and love your career and really want to do your career but also spend all the time with your kids, making all the school projects, you know, helping them, um, making sure you're at the bake sale and you've got a perfectly baked cake for them for the bake sale and all the things that, mind you, the kids notice as well. So they want mum to be there at their school functions. They want mum to, um, you know, they want to contribute when it comes to a bake sale. They want a homemade cake because everyone else is having a homemade cake. So it's stuff that the kids, you know, they do find that stuff really important, but it's just, it's so difficult. And I'm really sick of everyone saying that we can have it all. I just wish everyone could say it's, it's difficult. <laughs> it's yeah. hard. It's can not someone gonna please be fun. tell the truth? Yeah, tell the truth. Like just, you know, break it down and say it's really difficult and you're going to, and mum guilt is real. Mum guilt is mm. a real thing. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus, fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. Today's chat with Gillian is quite personal to me because I have been struggling with my body image from 12 years old. I've always felt like parts of my body were out of proportion. And for as long as I can remember, I would be pinching my hips, arms and legs in the mirror, wondering how I would create what I thought was the perfect size. Now at age 30, I'm sick of it. I want to feel confident in a bikini and I don't want to hide my body away anymore. So when Gillian agreed to join us on the podcast, I was over the moon because surely I'm not the only woman who has experienced these feelings. Gillian is a nutritionist and mindset coach that has an incredible journey around her relationship with food and body image. She has battled disordered eating along with the unrealistic beauty standards and diet culture through her whole life. Now she is transforming the conversation and teaching her clients and community how to love your body while also creating a happy and healthy relationship with food. Just a quick trigger warning, guys, this conversation does touch on topics about eating disorder. If you or someone you know is affected by this, please reach out to the Butterfly Foundation on 18003-4673 or Lifeline on 131114. Help is available and you're never alone. Gillian, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. You have no idea how excited I am to have this conversation with you. 
I was wondering if you could share your journey with body image and disordered eating with our listeners. Yeah, of course. This is so. I'm going to try to make this story not seven hours long because honestly, like probably most of the people listening, the roots of our issues with food and our bodies come from a really long time ago. And so to make it really brief, like I watched my mom struggle with her weight. My mom was never, I mean, it doesn't really matter if she was overweight or not because it's about her perception of her body. And so she was on a diet most like since I can remember. Um, And it was interesting because in my home, it was my mom was very much like, let's enjoy food, you know, eat what you like, which is funny considering that she was constantly dieting. And my dad was very much like, sugar is going to kill you. Sugar is bad. Like none of that stuff. And so I grew up with very sort of like conflicting um, uh, information around food in my household. And then also seeing my mom be very preoccupied with her body. And so when I would say that I really, I would, I would say like a turning point for me where it got really bad and I was aware of it, um, was probably, um, in my mid twenties. And interestingly, so I had started doing CrossFit and if anybody out there like knows the CrossFit, it's sort of like very, um, it's like, it's like a cult essentially. And I love it for the community and all of that, but it is, while it does focus a lot on like what your body can do, it still is very image and aesthetic focus. Like you will see the high level CrossFit athletes, um, like in, on, on the internet in very little clothing, their abs are always showing. And so as I got more into that, um, sort of like culture, I also wanted to look like someone who worked out. And so I had this vision of myself, you know, with like, you could see my abs and, and my muscles and all of that. And so that was when I really first started digging into dieting and, and and my relationship with food got really bad. And it got really bad partly because I really de- I really developed even more strongly this like black and white mindset around food that I had seen in my house growing up. And so it got to the point where I was like avoiding sugar by like at any costs but I was eating like a lot of things with with like aspartame and sucralose and like other fake sugars because I still wanted that sweet taste. I remember at one point there was a, a moment for me where I was like, so I, I tracked my macros for four or five years. And there was one point for me that was almost like a light bulb where I was, I saw a piece of fruit in my kitchen that was like my roommate's orange or something like that. And I remember looking at it and thinking, oh, that orange looks really good. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, you can't eat that. It's too high in sugar. And that for me was when I sort of had a light bulb moment of like, that's insane. Like that is absolutely insane. I eat foods that like protein powders and, you know, sugar-free chocolate and all of these things that have so many sweet tastes in them from fake sugars, but I won't eat an orange. And so that was one of many little light bulb moments where I was like, this is not okay what I'm doing to myself. But on the other hand, I got the body that I quote unquote wanted, which was I, you could see my abs. Um, I would get compliments from people all the time. But on the flip side, like there is a really dark side to having a low body fat, body fat percentage, especially as a woman. One, because of the level of restriction that you need to have with your food to get there. And two, because I was cold all the time. My hair was falling out like crazy. And I didn't have a sex drive at all. And I was tired all the time. 
And so for me, it was it was really, really challenging because I had this, this view of what I wanted to look like, but what I was doing to get there was extremely unhealthy. Actually, one of the things you mentioned when you said counting macros, I remember I used to have an app on my phone and it said, okay, to lose this weight, because I in my head I had this number that I'm like, if I hit 57 kilos, then my body will be exactly how I want it. And the app told me, okay, to hit that number, you need to have this many calories a day or kilojoules. And I got obsessed about it, but it was like this unhealthy obsession. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can't have that smoothie because then I'll be only allowed to have two eggs at lunchtime. So then I can have like a big dinner. And did you find this like pressure or like you're in like a pressure cooker almost of like you were restricted, but you were like controlled and it was very frustrating? 100%. And and it was interesting too, because when I first started tracking macros, and I think there's still very much a mindset around this today. And so I... I, as a coach, I also mentor other coaches and the coaches that I mentor are coaches that teach their clients to track macros. And, and I mentor them partly because it can be very restrictive and not, and not, um, and, and, and one of the things that I hope to do kind of with my coaching is help other coaches learn how to do that in a way that doesn't create this restrictive mindset. Because like you said, I, I also felt very much like these are the numbers that I have to hit. I cannot go outside of those numbers. Even if I'm hungry, I cannot eat more than this. Even if, you know, I'm at dinner with my friends and I really, really want to eat dessert with all of them, like I cannot do that because that will go outside my numbers. And so instead of food being this thing where I felt like, you know, it's a balance of eating for pleasure and eating for health, it was like I am purely eating for body composition. And, you know, it, it was really interesting because when I first started, and I think there's a little bit of this still, there was like this, um, especially on social media, if you follow anyone that talks about like tracking macros, they're like, but it's so flexible. You can eat whatever you want. And this is where I think that can be a really damaging narrative because it's, it's, you can eat whatever you want as long as it fits your macros. However, as you become more quote unquote skilled at macros, you realize that if you eat, you know, a donut and a grilled cheese sandwich, you've hit your numbers for the day. And so you you end up not doing that because you're like, well, I'm going to be freaking starving. So you end up like, like me, which was eating gigantic salads that were very low calorie, but filled up my belly, but didn't actually give me enough calories to like thrive. And this is why I like what you got when people sign up to our program, for example, they're like, can you share like how many calories that I need to be counting? Like, no, 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 we do not count calories because we do not believe in putting these restrictions on ourselves because it's hard enough in our lives. Like we've got work, there's children, there's families, relationships, exercise. It is so hard to add another thing on the mental load with everything else in life. Like, And that's why we're just like, take this off our plates and let's just enjoy food. That's what we're all about. But I want to ask, so you were doing CrossFit and you wanted to have this certain body image, um, but how did you reverse your mindset around that and kind of change the narrative around like what was a positive body image for you? That was 
challenging. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of organize my thoughts to see kind of where to start here. And I think for me, one of the things that that I was really lucky to sort of be involved with is one, I was already nutrition coaching at this point. And so I was like, my nutrition coaching has changed and evolved so much as I've changed and evolved. But the reason I say that is because I already had education around like around nutrition, right? And so I was aware that I likely wasn't eating enough for my body to actually thrive, but it was almost like I had enough information to know how to eat just enough so that I so that bad things didn't happen, which is horrible. But it also gave me the 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 drive to learn more because as a coach, I was like, I want to be a better coach. So as I learned more and as I consumed more books and courses and things like that, my eyes were sort of open to like, this is not how my body is supposed to feel, right? Like this is also how, like I'm not, I'm not supposed to constantly be stepping on the scale. Like at one point I was stepping on the scale like four times a day, which is insane. That wow. makes no sense. And, and I remember for me, there were kind of two things. One was on the food side. That moment kind of with fruit was one of the big moments where I was like, I claim to eat super healthy, but I refuse to eat fruit. That's not healthy. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, so that was kind of one point on the food side. And then on the body side, I, you know, I hadn't had a period in three years. And at first it was kind of like, oh, cool. I don't have a period. Like I don't have to deal with having a period. Like that's so convenient because I was competing in Olympic weightlifting. I was doing CrossFit all the time. And then um, I started to learn more about the menstrual cycle and I started to learn more about like the health of the female body and the menstrual cycle. And I was like, oh, not having a period is actually like potentially really damaging to my health. Like that maybe, maybe something's going on with my hormones and that's why my hair is like falling out. And maybe that's why I'm tired all the time. Maybe that's why I don't have a sex drive, right? And I was lucky enough at the time to be connected with two other female coaches who were going through something very, very similar. And so this is not uncommon of like women getting really, really deep into training, losing their periods, like getting obsessed with, with weight, like fitness. Like that's not uncommon. And I, I talk to women all the time that are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that there are so many other people that did this. But I was lucky enough to be in touch with two other female coaches and we sort of worked through getting our periods back and improving our body image together. And so that was extremely helpful. And I think the reason I say that is not everyone is lucky enough to just have like a buddy that is a coach that is like going through the same thing as them and then can talk them through it. But this is why I think that getting coached or having a community, and I know you guys have a huge community, I know having support is 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 so important to this process because part of it is we have so much shame, right? Like it had so much shame around, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've gotten myself to this point. But then I also had shame around like, well, I'm going to have to gain weight if I want to get my period back. And that was shameful as well. So having a community and having support, I think is so important. And I, I think without that support, I would not have been able to get where I am today, which is, yeah, I my body is bigger. I don't quote unquote, look as fit, but I actually enjoy being in my body so much more than I ever did when I was super, super lean. So around that, what are like some common signs and behaviors 
that may indicate someone is dealing with restrictive eating or disordered eating behaviors? So the first one that I would bring up because I think it's so incredibly common is feeling guilt or shame around food. And I I want to just make a really quick distinction. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. And if you feel like, hey, I, you know, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have bought that thing. It was really expensive and I'm trying to like stay on a budget. That's very different than saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have no self-control. Why did I eat that thing? What's wrong with me? Right. And so many of us experience a lot of shame around food um, and shame around our bodies. And that is a huge red flag for uh, disordered eating or body image issues. So that's one. Um, I think another one is is being is like cutting foods out that we don't need to cut out for of our diets for a medical reason. And so, uh, for example, my fruit example, like that was a clear, a clear like red flag of, hey, why am I cutting fruit out? There is no medical reason for me to do this. I'm doing it because I'm scared of sugar, not because of any other reason. Um, rigidity in eating. So individuals that, for example, they'll go out to eat and they will have to order something off of the menu or change the the menu item because they're scared of eating too many calories. Um, let's see. My... <laughs> There's so many of them, but I, I think the guilt is is a really, really big one. Like we shouldn't be regularly feeling guilt or shame around what we eat. Um, we should be able to be flexible with food and 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 we should we should not have strict food rules. And food rules are a really great indicator that something is up because food rules often lead to us breaking those rules. And when we break those rules, that's when we sort of get the quote unquote like effort effect. Where it's like, oh, screw it! I already, you know, I already ate one cookie. I might as well eat twelve. Um, that's a that's a sign that we want to watch out for. Um, another sign is is referring to food as like good or bad, sinful. Um, talking about talking about food in sort of like very black and white terms or in negative ways. Um, feeling, you know, you know, here's where it's okay to have preferences. Like I might prefer to eat like cereal for breakfast and you might prefer to eat oatmeal. But if you are in a pattern of disordered eating and oatmeal isn't available, it's likely that you're going to get quite upset. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't eat this thing that I wanted to eat. That is not normal. What would be normal is to be like, hey, I would prefer to eat this thing, but it's not available. So I'll just eat the other thing. So lack of flexibility is a really big red flag. And, and I think this one is very common, especially with individuals that are like, either getting into learning how to eat healthy, they feel like there's just one way to do it, or individuals that are way almost too versed in how many calories are in things. Um, and then also, you know, very frequent frequent weighing, um, feeling emotional about the weight that you see on the scale can be another sign that we need to look at what's going on with your body image or disordered eating. And uh, oh, excessive exercise, um, excessive body checking. So like looking at yourself in the mirror, like pinching body parts. So there's a lot of indicators that your body image or your eating behaviors need a little bit of, of adjustment. Um, and I, I've just scratched the surface there, but I think those are some, some ones that maybe some of your listeners can resonate with. That, um, point you made about the scales. I remember when I was younger, jumping on the scales and always like being really obsessed with having a flat stomach. 
And now that I've gotten older, my stomach is not flat. I'm probably the largest I've ever been. And the thought of putting on a bikini, I think I've mentioned this to you before when we've chatted, the thought of putting on a Mm -hmm. bikini, it frightens me. And especially Christmas coming up and I know all my family are going to be in the pool swimming and I'm like, I don't want to be in that pool in a bikini that's just I'm really nervous and almost intimidated and I'm thinking in my head what will people think they're going to think I'm fat they're going to think I'm ugly and this is what I think to myself which I know is unhealthy but what can I do to like kind of change my mindset around that so first I want to say thank you for sharing that and second I want to say I think a lot of people listening can probably resonate with not if not all of that at least some of it because what you just said is is also something that I've heard so many times from clients of mine. That story is very, very similar. I can think of one specific recent client that told me almost the exact same story. I know that it feels good to know we're not the only ones that think this way, right? Yeah. And while that feels comforting, it doesn't. it's not necessarily like, okay, well, now I know other people feel this way. Now I don't, right? So that's the first thing is I just want to acknowledge that like that is a really common fear and those are common thoughts to have. And now the second part is like, well, how do I start changing my mindset around my body? And the first thing that I would ask you, and this is, I'm, I'm like actually thinking exactly through the steps that I have in my body image coaching program. Um, and one of the very first steps is like noticing what do you do on a regular basis that draws attention to what you don't like about your body? And so the reason I say that is we often have ingrained habits that we don't even realize that we're doing until we bring attention to them that are, for example, like maybe every time you look in the mirror, you squeeze that little bit of your lower belly, right? Or maybe every time you go to the bathroom, you kind of like look yourself up and down and like pick out the things that you don't like, right? Um, And so are there any like habits that stand out to you as like, oh, this is how I bring attention to what I don't like about my body every day? Yes. I'm like sitting here nodding because every morning I go to the beach every morning because I'm trying to start swim, swimming and getting fit. And every morning I put, I put my bikini bottoms on and I'm like, no, no, no. And then I take them off and I put my one piece on and then I pat my stomach in the mirror and I look sideways and I'm like, Oh, and I like try and like push it in. Yeah. And then I try and find a pair of pants that will like cover that part of my stomach so I feel okay walking from my car to the beach. Yeah. And so here, like in your mind, it's probably like, oh, this is somehow like motivation for me to lose it or this is some like somehow it's helpful. But what we've identified is like you've just done like three or four different things over the course of maybe five minutes that have indicated to your mind that like my belly is not okay, right? And so here is where when I work with clients, what we'll often do is we will do, we will either eliminate, delay, or replace body checking behaviors. And part of that is because if we are, and I relate to this a lot because one of the things, my lower belly used to be one of the things that I would fixate on and my daily habit would be to go into the, go into the bathroom, go into the mirror, flex my abs, and then squeeze the part that was still squishy, right? And that was one of the ways in which I sort of quote unquote motivated myself, but also punished myself for not looking the way that I thought I was going to look. And starting your morning by not 
drawing attention to those parts about your body would probably be pretty helpful. And it probably will take a little bit of effort at first to be like, oh, that's right, I'm not doing this. But this is where we could potentially look at replacing. So instead of putting your bikini bottoms on, taking them off, and then squeezing your belly, like, could we maybe just go, if you know you're going to wear the one piece, right now, could we just go straight for the one piece? Would it also make sense to maybe put on the one piece and then not pat your belly or squeeze it, just put on the one piece, put on your pants and head out the door. Kind of like, this is not the point of what I'm doing right now. The point of what I'm doing right now is to get outside, get in the sunshine, go swim. The point is not to beat myself up for not having a perfect body. You've just, yeah, and you've just eliminated something that's so simple, but it's like getting those habits and that mindset around it to create every day so I don't do it. Yeah, exactly. And I would also add in here, so instead of just being like, well, I'm just going to ignore my belly altogether, I would actually like work on a practice of body functionality appreciation. And body functionality appreciation is a really interesting concept that there's actually quite a bit of like research literature around. And it's essentially a way to start valuing the function of our bodies over the form. And so we, especially as women, have sort of developed this, like, you know, we feel objectified by society, but we also objectify ourselves, right? And so it's bad enough that we feel like, you know, culture and society is out there, like, judging women's weight and, like, you know, looking at celebrities and telling them that they should lose weight or whatever that is, but we end up doing it to ourselves. And so part of body functionality appreciation is a, a way to reduce us seeing our bodies as just something to be looked at. And so one way that you could do that is it, when you do get dressed, you know, you put on your your one piece and you get ready to go and you say something to yourself about the function of your body. And that could be like, I'm so proud of my body for being strong enough to go swimming. Or I love that my arms can get me through the water, right? And so this is really about like recognizing the function either of your body as a whole or of parts of your body. And that in itself can reduce the body shame and the 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 dissatisfaction that we feel because our bodies are not meant to just be looked at. So does that mean like the whole body positivity movement? Because what you've said is body... Body functionality. How is that different from body positivity? So personally, I don't find body positivity to be incredibly helpful, mostly because a lot of, and specifically the, the women that I work with have spent so much time disliking their bodies and feeling quite shameful about their bodies that being, that all of a sudden just pretending, oh my gosh, I love, I love how I look. I'm so beautiful. Like it can seem quite false. And I think that it would be amazing if we could all look in the mirror and be like, oh my gosh, I'm beautiful. But the real, like the reality of it is a positive body image doesn't mean that you look in the, in the mirror every day and you're like, wow, I am such a goddess. Like that's just not realistic, right? And it's totally normal to wake up one morning or like get home at the end of the day and have a day where you're just like, I just don't think I look that good right now, Right. But your body is still functioning. Even if you don't love how you look today, your body is still pumping blood to your organs. It's still like helping you walk around. It's still like curing you. You know, you cut yourself and your body creates new skin. Like these are all functions that your body does no matter what you look like. And so creating this understanding of like body as a process rather than body as like an object can be really, really helpful for a lot of people. And if 
you know what? If I, I know that there are people out there that love the concept of body positivity. And if that works for you, amazing. Just what I've found in my experience is that it's normal to have days where you don't love how you look, even if you have a positive body image. And it feels quite false personally and to many of the clients that I've worked with to just pretend like, no, no, I love how I look every single day because like, that's just life. Like even if you have an incredible partner that you adore, there are still moments where that partner drives you, drives you crazy. Right. And so like pretending like, no, I just love everything about my partner. They're perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. Like that also seems kind of false. And so that's kind of my view of body positivity. If it works for people, amazing. I've just found in my experience that it isn't it isn't realistic and it isn't as like functional in our lives as it might be made out to be. And then on that note, kind of leaning into like looking at our bodies and understanding what they're capable of, people that are dealing with body dysmorphia and thinking they might be really big and they think they're really little or really or the other way around. How can you overcome that mindset? Yeah, that would actually be something for therapy. And the reason being is that we can, like as coaches and as individuals that are educated in body image, like we can work to change some of the beliefs and some of the things that some of the ways that you see your body give you tools, give you strategies. But when it is like a true body dysmorphia, that is like that requires therapy and counseling from someone that actually understands like a little bit more deeply potential traumas or potential issues that may have gotten to that point, right? And so I think this is like a, if we think about like the degrees, if, um, you know, if on a scale of one to 10, 10 is like body dysmorphia, I do not see my body at all how it is. And then a one is like, I think I look amazing all the time. And if maybe a five, six is like, you know, I like, there are things I don't like about my body, but like, I recognize that like my body's pretty functional and I'm fine. I think this is where as like in a coaching scenario, we can take the like five, sixes and sevens and move them closer towards like the positive side of the scale. But when we're at the, you know, the nine and 10, like body dysmorphia, um, eating disorder, like that's where we really need to look at, like, can I find a clinician that can really help me dig into the roots of where this came from? Mm, Interesting. You've mentioned a few times, I'm just wondering how to phrase this. Um, You're always talking about food and how that orange, for example, you had that restricted mindset around eating that orange. But how did you change your mindset and create a positive mindset around food? So first, the first step for really any change is awareness. And so I started to gather awareness of what I was actually doing. And that was more of an objective awareness than I had had in the past where in the past it was like, no, I have to do this because I have to do this in order to look this way, I started to gather awareness of like, huh, how might this not be working for me, right? And so I would notice I would notice things like um, I, I got to a point where I was uh, skipping breakfast to save calories. And so I, would, I was like intermittent fasting. And so I started to gather awareness of like, how is this not working for me? And part of it was I was also – educating myself as a coach on the on the other side. So I would see these things like written down like, hey, you know, referring to foods as good and bad is like a sign of disordered eating. I was like, huh, I do that. Um, or, you know, I'd read something about how like fruit has so many vitamins and minerals and, and that, you know, the different vitamins and minerals that are in fruit. And I was like, huh, I don't eat fruit anymore. 
And so I started to gather awareness of the things that I was doing. And then one of the big things that I had to do is I had to be okay with my body changing. And so I had to tell myself like, you may gain weight, but gaining weight is part of what your body needs in order to be healthy, right? Another big thing that I had to do is I had to address, so there's usually kind of like when it comes to restrictive eating, there's like three different sides of it. So one of them is uh, like a lack of emotional regulation. Another one is like a very restrictive diet mindset. And the third one is overvaluation of weight and shape. So kind of when we're looking at whether, you know, and this kind of comes from like eating disorder literature. Um, And so when we're looking at disordered eating, it's likely that um, this person maybe struggles a little bit to like regulate their emotions. Maybe they're like naturally a bit of an emotional eater and like that feels uncomfortable. Um, this person likely values what they look like, like their appearance and their weight higher than they should. And this person probably has like a very black and white sort of rigid mindset around food. And so for me, I had to, I, I went to therapy. So that was the emotional regulation side. That was really helpful. Um, the, and then on the, the black and white mindset around food, was I started to include foods that I had restricted and see how my body felt, right? So for a long time, I had restricted fruit. So I started eating a piece of fruit or two every day and being like, oh, actually, this feels great and I really enjoy it, right? Um, I started, I used to only eat like sugar-free chocolate because I thought it was like quote-unquote healthier. And I was like, well, I'm going to start eating regular chocolate at chocolate and see how that goes. And as I progressed, one of the practices that I really adopted was a practice of unconditional permission to eat. And this was essentially like, I can eat anything I want at any time, but there's a there's like a filter that I use to decide whether I want it. And this over time has transformed. Right now, I would say that I pretty consistently practice this. Like I follow like a general meal structure just because that's like easy for me and I know that I get in the nutrients that I need. But within that structure, I put in whatever foods I want. But at first, to start practicing this concept, it was about starting to include foods that I hadn't included or I'd very highly restricted and allow myself to eat them slowly, enjoy them, and then gauge like, did this bad thing that I thought was going to happen when I ate this food actually happen or not? right? And so I started paying a lot more attention, not just to how many calories are in food, but how does food feel when I eat it? And so I'll give you an example. There was a point where I started eating fruit again, but in my head, I was like, well, I can eat lots of fruit, but I can't eat other carbs, right? Because fruit, like certain fruits are quote unquote lower in calories. So I would sit there and I would eat like half a kilo of strawberries because they weren't very high in calories, but I wouldn't allow myself to eat like a a cookie, like a biscuit, right? And so I realized, well, I don't feel that great after I eat half a kilo of strawberries. Like that physically in my body, like I feel my belly feels way too full. Like that doesn't feel good. And so how can I start playing with allowing myself what I actually want and seeing how my body feels when I eat it? And that for me was really, really helpful. Interesting. Do you think diet culture and trends around food – created a negative mindset around you in the beginning for food? Yeah, I think I was in an echo chamber of like, of people being like, yeah, you shouldn't eat this food. It's bad for you. Or people being like, yeah, I was so good all week. Like, let's go have a cheat meal. Right. And so I was, I was in this like CrossFit environment where people would be like, you know, they'd show up to CrossFit with their like Tupperwares and they're like protein shakes. And then on the weekend it would be like, let's go get a burger. Let's go all out. Right. 
And I was also in this echo chamber of as I lost weight, I got so many compliments. And interestingly, as even though I got more compliments on my body, I felt more disconnected from other people than I ever had. And I've never had relationships that were so superficial as I did when my focus was solely on like, what does my body look like? And so it, it did very much feel like on social media and in my life, there was this like culture of let's celebrate what people look like. Let's celebrate weight loss, but we don't actually care if the person in the body that we're looking at is okay or not. So how do you funnel out the white noise? Because social media is overwhelming when it comes to diets and I'm going to say, quote, healthy eating. And it's just overwhelming to filter it all out. So how did you do that? A lot of it came down to understanding what my core values are. And values are, so when I coach clients, one of the first things we do is define like, what are your core values? What's important to you? And this was a huge turning point for me because I was really disconnected from those values. Like I'm someone, I'm very goofy. I'm funny. Like when I feel comfortable, I can be very outgoing. I'm like nerdy. I love reading science fiction and fantasy. I do like comedy improv. I'm obsessed with dogs. Like I have all these different facets of my life that were that like my personality became my diet and my exercise routine right and so in connecting with my core values i was able to really break down like okay cool so my values are connection curiosity creativity and freedom how am i expressing those values in my day to day and i realized like i'm not and i also realized that there were certain individuals in my life that weren't supporting me being that person that i wanted to be people that brought out my insecurities people that i didn't feel comfortable around and so to be completely honest like i've completely transformed the community of people that i surround myself with but at the same time like yes it was really really hard but it was so incredibly worth it right and this is where like even now you know i used to i used to date i was like on the dating apps and was like dating men like you know and I would date all these guys like for what they looked like because I thought that they were dating me for what I looked like and so now being able to like be in the relationship that I'm in that is like yes we both think each other is attractive but I the person that I'm with is like he's so he like brings out all of those things about my values right like my values feel really fulfilled when I am with my partner. And that was something Mm -hmm. that when my sole focus was diet and fitness, I wasn't able to connect with someone on that way. And I think that it's really important because we often don't realize the like effect that focusing so much on food and being so harsh on our bodies can have, but it does really limit our mental capacity to like be present and be with other people. Jillian, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. You have transformed my mindset and hopefully our listeners are taking away a lot from this conversation. For anyone who wants to learn a little bit more, I'll put links in the show notes below. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, 
We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.